Have you ever heard of an armchair quarterback? It means someone has an opinion but doesn't necessarily participate in the sport. But it also means that they care enough about the sport to discuss it and try to make it better. In our basketball world, we call this cardboard box seats. We see the game from afar like true fans, but we always show up with the same intensity as if we were at the games ourselves. We don't have the money or the connections like the other talking heads on TV, but we do have some ideas which might seem too out there, and honestly we've got opinions which might change. Either way, we have fun, so come and watch the game with us from our cardboard box seats. Welcome to Cardboard Box Seats. Gabe's here. Nick's here. And we're talking today with Andrew D. Bernstein. Andrew, how's it going? It's good. It's good. I'm out here in L.A., a beautiful day, and uh, happy to talk to you guys. Awesome. A beautiful day in the uh, in the neighborhood. May, may we yeah, be the first from the East Coast to wish you a happy new year? Well, um, absolutely. You're the first over a podcast line to wish me a happy new year from the east coast because i got a lot of family a lot of people i work with on the east coast but i do appreciate it fellas thank you and happy new year happy new decade to both of you and all your listeners out there awesome well we appreciate that so go ahead and take us through the scenic route of your career thus far as a sports photographer <laughs> wow that's a that's that's a pretty broad question there my friend uh well let's see um Came out of Brooklyn, New York. Um, that's where I was born and raised. Started to get into photography in high school, as a lot of kids do, and um, was introduced to the magic of the darkroom when I was 14. Um, a good friend of mine had a darkroom in his basement, and my dad had bought me a camera, and we had made a trip out to the Western uh, National Parks. And the magic sort of happened at that point. Um, I knew that I had something that I was really called to and uh, really called to me, something that I could feel a lot of creative energy around. Didn't really know where I'd go with that, um, but I ended up at the University of Massachusetts um, in Amherst, UMass, and we had a daily newspaper there five days a week, very prestigious college newspaper. And I started working for them, became assistant photo editor there very quickly, because um, basically no one else wanted the job. And uh, although there were no classes there at Art Center, I mean, I'm sorry, at UMass, um, I got a lot of on-the-job training, working in a newsroom, doing assignments, giving out assignments, working on deadline, shooting all different kinds of um, photojournalism features, portraits, sports, of course, news, whatever it happened to be, you know, fraternity, sorority parties, you know, anything. So, and, and a lot of entertainment as well. Uh, we had a quite uh, robust performing arts department at UMass. Um, but I got to kind of an impasse where I really wasn't learning the science of photography. Um, made the trek out to California to a place called Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. And the Art Center is very much known to be a commercial and advertising, very heavily weighted school where photojournalism was not really part of kind of their, I wouldn't say part of their curriculum, but it wasn't really part of their focus. So there's a little bit of the black sheep of my class. There's only 36 people in my class when I went in. You know, being a Brooklyn guy, I had a lot of moxie and you, know, you tell me I can't do something. Um, it's only going to push me further. So 
I, I just kept at it. And I had two teachers. Um, this was back in 1978. I had two teachers who uh, really believed in me and, and pushed me and wouldn't let me get discouraged. And I ended up working for one of my teachers in his studio while I was a student. The other teacher was a Vietnam veteran war photographer and uh, didn't take any crap from anybody. And he also knew that I might have had something a little special. So long story short, the three of us have stayed very close friends. They're both mentors of mine, you know, 40 years into my career. And that's a true lesson of, of really taking advantage of relationships when you first start out and gravitating towards people who could really help you and really believe in you and be genuine. So one of these teachers, Bill Robbins, introduced me to a Sports Illustrated photographer who was looking for a shoot he was doing. Happened to be with the Lakers, coincidentally. And uh, I helped him on that, and that was just kind of the beginning of the snowball that I started assisting for other Sports Illustrated photographers that were located in the Southern California area and got exposed to true on-the-job training with them. Everything from any kind of sport you could possibly imagine, um, helping them at games, picking them up at the airport, shipping their film. Um, but specifically, I was exposed to and learned the very specific technique of lighting indoor arenas, such as the Forum, for hockey and basketball, which was a very specialized thing at the time. Only Sports Illustrated was doing that. And there are only a few of us in the country who really know, knew how to do it. And I was one of them. So, you know, through my sort of New York way of the way I was and recognizing a door when it was starting to uh, crack open, I, I kind of made my way into the forum and introduced myself to some people that I had met by assisting, but wanted to convince them I could uh, do some shooting for them, for the uh, Lakers and the Kings who played at the forum at the time. And use this, these strobes as these giant flash units that have to be installed into the catwalk of arenas. And they were very happy to the point where in 1982, the beginning of that season, 82, 83, my good friend at, at the Lakers, PR director, suggested I go meet somebody at the NBA in New York who was in charge of the NBA All-Star Weekend, which is going to be in L.A. Uh, in February of 1983. So I went back and met met the guy and he hired me on the spot. They didn't even have any photographer at the time. The NBA at that time was a very small organization. It was basically one corridor of an office building where now they basically have the entire office building and they have offices all over the world and NBA entertainment didn't even exist at the time. NBA properties was just starting. So I was against that to my advantage and it's been an amazing run ever since. Just a little bit more history. I actually became the Dodgers team photographer in 1984. So this all happened kind of at the same time. I was working for the LA Kings, which I still work for. I was running a pretty um, pretty good little stock picture agency where we were selling photos of our action photos to various magazines and trading cards and posters and things like that. So in 1986, things were getting a you know, really kind of exploding with the NBA, with, you know, Showtime and Bird Magic era and multiple entities needing photos for licensing and things for products. And uh, the NBA and I and a good friend of mine, his name is Terry Lyons, who stayed by, has been my very good friend who worked in the NBA. We decided to form NBA Photos. This is in 1986, and at the same time, I became the first official NBA photographer. And uh, that continued. Um, you know, I kind of worked my way up the, 
the ladder of titles, you know, director, senior director, whatever. And uh, NBA Photos, as you guys probably know, is, is really the benchmark for NBA photography in the world. We're now um, uh, licensed by, we actually have licensed Getty Images to syndicate our photos. So all team photographers throughout the league find their photos on, on NBAphotos.com, but also on GettyImages.com. At the same time, I've been running my sports and, and event company for going into my, I think this is my 40th year coming up, honestly. I think I hung my shingle in 1980. And the last piece of the puzzle, that another hat that I wear, well, I wear a couple more hats, but as a photographer, I'm the director of photography for Staples Center, um, you know, the entertainment complex in L.A. And we have four professional teams there. We have five or six, seven award shows every year. So I have a group of photographers. We're very busy, especially this time of year when all the teams are home. You know, I'm on my way to a game now. So <laughs> such is my life. So that's kind of the long tour of uh, a very long career. Um, I don't know. I hope it made some sense to you guys. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. Like first official NBA photographer. That's no doubt, really cool. So, yeah. with being over pretty much all photography at Staples Center now, how how is that looking with both teams in LA doing really well and kind of showing out for the true LA team? I guess as some people are calling it. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm very uh, very timely because we just had the Christmas Day game, and it's pretty evident that there's a really great rivalry going on now. It's the first time since in my experience and i've shot the clippers since the day they moved from san diego in 1984 so i don't think there's really anybody with more experience around the clippers than i have um it's the first time that both teams are good at the same time you know for the first i don't know maybe 20 years <laughs> or so that the clippers were in la the lakers of course were the big you know they were the big fish and uh they had the big following, and they still do, of course, They're the Lakers, and they had a lot of banners on the wall. But then, you know, there was a downslide for the Lakers a little bit in the uh, mid-2010s area, era. and, you know, you remember Lob City and Chris Paul and uh, Blake Griffin and Andre Jordan kind of had a great run when the Lakers were starting to go downhill, you know, towards the end of Kobe's era and then after Kobe. And now, you know, the Clippers are back, and both teams are good. You know, I think we arguably have four of the maybe top five or six players in the league playing in L.A. So that's pretty amazing. And for me, it's kind of a resurgence of energy. You know, I used to cringe when I used to go to Lakers and Clipper games because back in the old days in the sports arena, you knew what the outcome was going to be before you even showed up. You know, the Lakers were just so good. So it's nice to see the Clippers relevant and uh, playing so well and have their own fan base and their own identity. The rivalry, like I said, is in full swing, and it's very evident. There are a lot of Clipper fans at that Lakers home game on Christmas Day, and as there are a lot of Laker fans on Clipper home games. So it's fun. i got to tell you, it's a lot of fun for me. I bet. So being a sports photographer, you have one of the best seats in the house being right there on the court. What is, what is that like, and, and how do you avoid not getting crashed into by some of the players? Well, the first part of your question is um, it's great. <laughs> uh, you know, there are people sitting behind me who pay $4,000 for a seat every single game. And I actually sit in front of them and have a better seat than they do. So that's kind of ironic and kind of fun. Um, I love being in the action. It's really the only sport that 
various photographers are literally like inches away from the athletes. You know, hockey we are too, but hockey we're behind, you know, the glass boards. We have to shoot through a little hole. Football, of course, you're on sidelines or, or in the end zone. Baseball, you're like a mile and a half away. You know, soccer too, same thing. You're super far away. Basketball, I just feel like I'm in the game. And so the second part of your question, the answer is I have to be alert all the time. I've gotten nailed more times than I want to, I care to remember. You know, I tell this story you know, kind of often, but maybe your listeners haven't heard it, but Shaq has taken me out three times over his career. And uh, first two times I was able to avoid it. The third time we were in uh, Western Conference Finals, I believe it was um, Lakers in San Antonio, one of those years. And, you know, for Shaq, for the, for the size of him, He's actually was actually incredibly nimble and always in control. No matter if there's two, three guys hanging on him, he it just amazed me how incredibly controlled he was. Rarely ever saw him like be falling all over the court or being pushed around. Anyway, something happened where there was a crazy rebound and the ball got loose and he came just towards me full steam and I, and I got nowhere to go. You know, my job is to kind of ball up, protect my equipment from hitting him, and take the hit, you know, as best I can, maybe on a shoulder or something. Anyway, he just flattened me, and he is literally on top of me, we're face-to-face, you know, guy at the time was about 340, you know, on a good day, I'm maybe 160, you know, <laughs> and uh, we're face-to-face, and I had, like, a, basically a camera and, and lens embedded in my chest, and all my equipment is all over the place, and I, I can't catch my breath, and I'm, I'm huffing and puffing, and he's looking at me. He's like two inches away from me, and he's like, oh, man, is that you? And I go, yeah, man, get the, you know what, off me, man. And he looks at me, and he says, give it a second, man. We're on national TV. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Shaq, you know, Classic always showing where the camera is, you know what I mean? So that's something we still laugh about. Um, I don't know how I survived that. Honestly, but I did get actually hurt one time uh, a couple of years ago. First time I really, and I shouldn't actually say this or jinx because I don't want to jinx it, but I was up at Oracle Arena. It was uh, Warriors and, and Rockets playoffs. And James Harden, you know, has this way of going to the basket, trying to draw the foul. He just kind of keeps going. I think you guys have kind of seen that where he kind of goes into the basket, hopes that somebody hits him, makes some contact, and he just kind of keeps going. Like a lot of guys stop. He just goes, you know, and he went right towards me and just took me out and I bashed my elbow on the court and just elbow just opened up like blood everywhere. Not a good scene. Yeah, it was bad. Um, Of course, I stayed on the court and finished the game, but ended up uh, in the emergency room in Oakland the entire night that night getting stitched up. You know, it's a dangerous job. We we like to call it combat sports photography, you know, as best as you can get as close to combat sports. But, you know, I've seen friends of mine get hit by hockey pucks at games, or I got hit once by a baseball at at a Dodger game. A good friend of mine got nailed with a baseball and a foul ball and Broke his nose, had about 20 stitches in his face a couple of years ago. I mean, it is, you know, it's a tough profession. And you got to be, you know, like I said, you got to be alert. And you got to hope that they are in control and that the gods are shining down on you. And, you know, that's not going to fly in your face. So <laughs> that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, Shaq coming at you a million miles an hour, just kind of hitting you full force. That can be kind of scary. I didn't realize photographers would be... Uh, land their life on the line that much. 
Yeah, yeah, we do. And as as you've noticed, probably by watching games over the years, there are less and less photographers and videographers on the court. The NBA has actually scaled back about sixty percent of the uh, personnel on the floor. There are extra escape lanes now. They space us out further from each other so that the guys have more room to maneuver if they do come towards us and that's all to protect them i mean our job is to protect them you know i'm not going to say nobody cares about us but you know these these guys need to be protected we realize that we use the minimal amount of equipment i I would think that all of us really know how to how to move in case something is coming our way you know sometimes it just is the luck of the draw, like with the James Harden thing. I mean, he, he just kept going. I had nowhere to go, and boom, I'm the one who took it. So, But I, I actually got hurt trying to protect him, and I talked to him about it a couple of games later, and he, he was very nice. He told me, hey, when that scar heals, I'll sign it for you. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So not only do you do photography for on like a, a team scale where you see a lot of the players interacting with one another. You also do kind of personal shoots, whether it be just kind of for their own product or kind of supporting another product. Which of your kind of personal shoots with the players has been one of your favorites and how, how have you seen their personality kind of shine through? Oh, well, we've done a lot of those over the years. I mean, the first one I did a commercial shoot with a player, I think was with Magic way back God, it had to be around maybe his second year, and it was for Converse. Um, it was an ad for Converse, and uh, there's a story about that, too. There's a story about everything, but I got to know Magic really well. Um, I was around the Lakers a lot. He and I basically were rookies together, so you know there's a lot of mutual respect, and we were growing up together in the game, and he was always great with me, and when this shoot came up, his people referred me for the shoot, which was great. Back in those days, we used to do... Um, tests with polaroid so you would you know because of course we're shooting on film so the only way that you would see what the lighting looked like what the pose would be is that if you had a person they sort of stand in for the athlete um so we did have a stand-in who sort of looked like magic basically same size this guy stood in for magic and i got the lighting all set and everything but you never really know until you get the person in there you know so the way we used to do it was that we would shoot a polaroid you'd look at the polaroid and Polaroid takes 60 seconds to develop, and then you would adjust your lighting or whatever you had to do. So he comes on my set, and, you know, keep in mind, we're friends. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm working with an athlete I never met before. And uh, I go, I said, okay, Magic, uh, let's get the Polaroid done. He goes, he just looks at me, and he puts his finger up. He goes, uh-uh. I'm like, what do you mean, uh-uh? He goes, well, I come on your set. We don't do no Polaroids. You be ready. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, are you, are you serious? He goes, yep, I don't do Polaroids. <laughs> I Man. Think can, and I never did a Polaroid again with Magic. But, um, you know, that was a real learning lesson for me that, um, you know, each guy has their quirk and their thing. Shaq, God bless him, I love him to death, but the guy has an attention span of, like, you know, a piece of lint sometimes. And um, he would come on the set, and I'd shoot literally two frames. He'd go, is that it? And I'm like, Dude, you know, getting him to focus. And, but once he locked in, Shaq was amazing. And, uh, you know, I've done many shoots with Shaq way back when he was um, representing and endorsing uh, Reebok and Pepsi and all the other stuff. Icy Hot, we spent a lot of time shooting various things. I used to go down to Orlando when he was down there once or twice a month to do a shoot, which was pretty cool. Then, you know, Kobe came along and, started doing some stuff with him and a lot of the stuff I 
I've done off the court has been for the NBA. So, you know, there's a lot of understanding and respect there in terms of what, what the NBA needs, what the athlete is, what's expected of him, you know, or her. No real horror stories, honestly. Um, I've always felt a tremendous amount of mutual respect between myself and the athlete. You know, now it's it's interesting because I, I think you guys probably know that, but I've started to do a podcast myself going into my third season called Legends of Sport, where I talk to icons of the game, in and around the game. doesn't matter what sport it is, male, female, you know, on the court, off the court, field, whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm noticing the same kind of rapport, that there's a lot of mutual respect. You know, they, they understand that I have my job to do. I need to be expeditious and, and good with their time, you know, and, and use their time wisely and ask the right questions and get them in and out. And that's always been my sort of mantra throughout my career is that I work really quickly and efficiently. I have a great crew that I work with that I couldn't live without. You know, that, that carries carries through. It carried through big time with Kobe when we did our book together, you know, the Mamba Mentality book. So, yeah, I hope that's that's a very long-winded answer, but I hope that answers the question. Yeah, that does. And, I mean, it definitely speaks volumes, the amount, the amount of respect that the players have for you and, and then just the mutual respect back and forth for each other. I think that just shows how, how great of a photographer and great of a person you are well thank you for that yeah no problem you kind of touched on like the polaroids and stuff like that so how how have you seen photography change since you've been a photographer for the nba well i mean the big and obvious changes from film to digital which um was sort of phased in and and right at the the turn of the century (laughs) um you know, back in 99, 2000, 2001. And by 2000, I don't know, four or five, I guess we went full digital. You know, we were, we started to kind of um, ease into it and then try to do more digital than film. And then we totally took film out of the equation. That's the biggest change. I mean, I, I also always point to the fact that we used to use manual cameras. I mean, the cameras had to focus it manually. You had to understand light and exposure. And we were shooting on, transparency film which had very very little uh forgiveness like if you screwed up in your exposure or whatever and it kind of blows my mind actually as i look through a lot of my old stuff how i don't know the hand-eye coordination of what it was (laughs) that i was able to focus these big lenses and, and football games and um you know, how fast a hockey game or a basketball game is. You know, I don't think I could shoot a manual focus camera now if my life depended on it. But back then, <laughs> we didn't know any different. So, you know, that, those are two of the, the two biggest things. The business has changed quite a bit, too. You know, now everyone on the planet is a photographer because they all have a great camera in their pocket or, you know, in their purse or in their bag or in their glove compartment or wherever it is. And I think that's great because it elevates photography to a level that it really never was you know being a photographer or having an interest in photography as a hobby was always kind of a little bit of a novelty when I grew up I only knew one photographer one professional photographer my entire life growing up in Brooklyn Uh, my dad kind of thought he was a photographer but he really wasn't he was actually a doctor (laughs) um but he's the one who got me into it. But I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very um, grateful to the fact that so many people are into photography and, and now can recognize a good picture when they see it because they're actually creating them themselves. So that's cool. And there's a zillion more outlets for photography than there ever was before. However, all that being said, that hasn't changed the way I approach my craft, my 
profession. I still literally approach every game the same way that I approached it, you know, 35, 40 years ago. I still shoot the same way. You know, the technology and the tool is, could be different, but it doesn't change the way that I see the game or see the assignment or try to solve the problem of whatever the assignment is. So that that's all remained the same. And uh, that, you know, when I teach, I teach an upper level class uh, at a college here in L.A. in sports photography. And I, I keep preaching that, you know, it doesn't matter what the tool is in your hand. It's what's what you see through the tool, what is coming from you. In, you know, the camera is just an instrument. So I have learned to adapt. I wasn't the most the greatest student of digital photography, but I had some really good people around me who kind of ushered me in and keep teaching me things almost every day <laughs> that I need to know. You know, I, I guess maybe it's a testament if you can teach an old dog new tricks. I mean, I don't know a lot of the tricks, but I know enough to kind of get through the get get through the day and get through the game. Yeah, for sure. And that that it's just amazing for me to hear kind of both the way you talk about uh, kind of photography as well as you explaining the, the technical side of it. Well, because in reality, there there is an art to it, and obviously because photography is an art, but it's also becoming much more of a science as well. So hearing you talk about that, it's like, wow, that's that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, as you say, both an art and a science. And people, I think people are realizing that sports photography, especially, which has always been the poor stepchild of photojournalism, which is always overlooked in terms of quote-unquote art, you know, except for the greats, you know, a handful of greats that have come before us. Uh, but sports photography has never been recognized as, as an art form. And it's starting to happen. You know, as part of a great, uh, great exhibition and a book that my good friend Gail Buckland did called Who Shot Sports? And she really, really helped to raise the awareness of, of how icon iconic sports photography has held its value and its importance in society, you know, over a hundred and some odd years. And um, she did the same thing with rock and roll photographers who were always looked at as kind of, you know, whack jobs who just hung around backstage. But these, these guys were true artists and, and have recorded for history a, uh, you know, a time in our American history, especially that was, you know, really based in the music, the anti-war movement and everything else that came out of the 60s and 70s. You know, I'm happy to be part of the beginnings of that and uh, i'm very active in trying to raise that awareness and kind of keep that conversation at the forefront in the art world as best i can um i do that through some speaking that i do exhibitions that i do um, i have a couple of ventures that i'm involved in which hopefully i'll be able to uh announce in the next you know in this next year or so so you know stay tuned on that but um for sure it's definitely a, an art and a science and that's you know goes back to what I said earlier that I wasn't learning the science when I was in at UMass, so that's why I needed to learn that. And once I did, it opened up you know entire world to me as a career. So you shot many different big events, including like the Olympics, for example, as well as Kobe Bryant's farewell tour. You you kind of talked about um, the collaboration that you you and him did with his book Mamba Mentality. Um, kind of spending all that time with one of the great basketball being Kobe Bryant, especially on that farewell tour. What was that like kind of going, for lack of better words, on tour with him? <laughs> well, yeah, that, you know, I, I love remembering that final year because it was really the culmination of a 20 year relationship that he and I had, I still have, but going back to his, 
very first day as a Laker. And I literally took his first picture as a Laker on Laker Media Day in 1996. And I took his last picture as a Laker walking off the court after his amazing 60-point game in his final game. So, And, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pictures in between. So by the time Kobe came to the Lakers, I had really entrenched myself with the team and this was really due to my relationship with Pat Riley with Magic with Jeannie Buss uh, Mitch Kupchak all the people who really believed in me but also saw that you know I could I could be a fly in the wall I don't distract the team I, I have a great value to the team because of the content that I was producing you know as well as people I was working for at the NBA appreciated and valued that so all of that based on relationships not as much on my photography, I guess, but more on my, the way I conduct myself and, and uh, you know, the professionalism that I always showed. So when Kobe came in, you know, I already had a long, long time relationship with Shaq already, and he came to the Lakers. And Kobe and I just forged this great sort of, I don't know, un, unsaid relationship just due to our obsession with what we do. You know, Kobe has a a great quote where he says, um, if you're not obsessed with what you do, we don't speak the same language. And I think from the beginning, Kobe and I did speak the same language. You know, he's just the most obsessed athlete probably ever lived. I was very fortunate to have him in front of my camera, you know, hundreds and thousands of games. You know, he gave me the opportunity to have access to things that he did to prepare for games, rehabbing from from injury, everything that he did off the court to make him the Mamba. You know, the Mamba mentality is, is really a sort of a frame of mind that I guess he saw that in me as well. And when it came time for us to, for me to present an idea to him about doing a book of his career, it was only natural that the book would be about this sort of access that I had to him over the years that no one else had. There was, you know, a, a great treasure trove of photography out there that had never really been seen before of stuff that I shot with him. And when we sat down to do the book, um, it just sort of all came together. It was just, it was really an amazing experience. One that I don't think will ever be matched in my, in my career. And, and I, I honestly can't really think of a time where an athlete and a writer or a photographer really collaborated as closely as, as he and I did on, on this book because um, literally every page of that book was something that we worked on together and was, you know, our, our mindsets coming together. And, you know, he, he was a perfect partner for that. And the book has done unbelievably well. I mean, knock on wood, it's now in its, I believe, 20th country. It's in 15, 16 different languages, multiple printings. Um, so, you know, grateful to him for having that trust in me. But I also recognize that I earned that over the years, and he wouldn't have wasted his time with me if he didn't feel that. So a lot of mutual respect there and a lot of gratitude towards him and his team and the people who really helped put this whole thing together. That's awesome. So kind of thinking like throughout your whole career, what would you say has been one of your favorite photographs that you've ever taken and why? Well, I could probably turn that back on you guys to ask you what you think my one of my favorite or one of your favorite pictures of mine has been, but um, I won't do that. <laughs> um, I it's funny, you know, people ask me that question. I, I get a little, I get a little um, taken back because you know I have four kids, so it's like you're asking me, you know, which kid do you like the most? You know? <laughs> and 
And I don't know if you guys are dads, but, you know, sometimes you like one kid actually a little better than another kid, another given day. Depends on the, on the backstory. But, um, <laughs> you know, you, honestly, you love your kids the same, right? So I see some of my more iconic photographs as as kind of children. <laughs> um Children in emulsion, I guess you'd call them. So there's like one, one A, one B, I guess. But yes, people like to point, and I, I very much agree that maybe my most iconic photo is the one of Michael Jordan, 1991, holding the trophy. You know, after he won his first championship with his dad next to him, and, and Michael's crying his eyes out, and it was just an amazing moment in time. It was the beginning of, uh, you know, his amazing run of six championships, um, and. I love that photo for a lot of reasons. One of them being that uh, I know how much Michael loved that photo. I know that specifically because after his dad was murdered, a few months later, I got a call from Michael's office that Michael would like a signed print of that of that image. And I know how close he was with his dad. I was very close with my dad who passed away too. And actually his dad and my dad knew each other and met each other during the whole Dream Team experience. So there was a lot of... You know, like a lot of backstory and subplots here going on. But, you know, that picture by Magic and Bird sort of intertwined during the 87 finals is, you know, kind of pretty well known. There's been a few Kobe's in there, um, a LeBron or two, <laughs> uh, Michael Jordan taken off from the free throw line during the 88 uh, slam dunk championship. That was a pretty good one. So, you know, I've had a few. I, I actually, non-basketball, I, I have. I got a great picture of Kirk Gibson hitting the legendary home run, the 88 World Series. That was pretty cool. You know, I've been to a couple of Super Bowls, um, like you said, Olympics. But if, if, you know, if I had to really break it down and put up on a higher pedestals, you know, those would be the ones, the photos that I would probably point to. Well, I'll go ahead and answer your question. My favorite picture that you've taken is Kobe Bryant with his feet inside the, the coolers full of ice, and he's kind of almost like the thinker pose. Yeah, yeah, dude. That, that, I left that one out. That was like the one C of the one ABC thing. Um, but, yeah, that's that's definitely up there. That, to me, is, is a – if we were going to do one picture in, for the book Mama Mentality, that would have been the picture in the book <laughs> because – Everything about that picture is all about him and how he prepared for games. He shouldn't have been playing in that game that night. He was all busted up, his broken finger. He had both ankles were basically shot. They played a game the night before in Cleveland, and here we are in New York, Madison Square Garden, less than 24 hours from the last game. And he is about an hour before game time, and he's willing himself to play, you know, in a pretty busy locker room. And he's incredibly, you know, in a meditative state, um, and then he goes out and he scored like 30-something that night. So, uh, you know, the guy is superhuman. Um, but also that photo talks about my my process, you know, my technique of being a fly on the wall, not distracting the player, having having him earn the trust of the team and the player to have, to actually be in that situation in the first place, you know, to take that picture. So, you know, a lot of stuff going on in that photo, and I'm glad you pointed to it. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I I assumed that that was a photograph taken after a basketball game, but you saying that yeah. it was before makes it, it just completely changes the way I look at that photograph now. Yeah, yeah, it was before the game, and uh, you know if you keep if you look real closely in that picture, you see he's he's got his busted index finger in a in a coffee cup with ice because yeah. he's icing his finger. 
<laughs> so it's like it's I mean the guy was just unbelievable. I saw him play sick, uh I didn't even tell you how many times. Um, you know, broken this, broken that, course came back from that horrific Achilles tear. I mean, how many guys could have come back from that is at his age, right? And came come back to the level that he came back at and then walk off the court scoring 60 points his final game. I mean, I mean, I live in Hollywood. You couldn't write that script, you know, it, it, but it actually happened in real life. So it's just remarkable. I'm always in awe of him. Every time I, I just saw him the other night, he came to a Laker game with his daughter and uh, always great to see him back in the house. Oh, I bet. The National Basketball Hall of Fame has recently, or last year, awarded you with the Kurt Gowdy Award for print media, and you're only the second photographer to be acknowledged with that award. Just kind of thinking back about all the, the blood, sweat, and tears, quite literally, in some cases, that you put into working for the NBA, can you describe what it was like winning this award and hearing your name announced? You know, it's funny when you when you talk about it. It's the first time I've really like sort of thought about it during the question. All I could think of was all those nights that I was away from my kids when they were growing up mm-hmm. and all those late night flights coming back from, from games, you know, with the team or on a, on a commercial flight, you know, early in the morning with back to back games or whatever it was. I mean, there's a lot of sacrifice we do in professional sports. I'm incredibly grateful to the, you know, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, to the nominating committee, my peers who nominated me. It's a, Tremendous honor. You know, I was there in Springfield. Well, what's kind of funny is that it was a full circle event for me because where I went to school at UMass was literally 15 minutes from Springfield. And I took my first professional basketball picture, not my first professional, but my first published basketball picture was taken at UMass. And then here I am at the Hall of Fame, you know, getting this award. It just was a bizarre kind of crazy twilight zone as phil jackson would say full circle event but it felt great and i i felt like i thought adam silver said the greatest thing to me that night there was a little uh, reception before the actual dinner where they they gave the award out and <laughs> he introduced me to the group you know a lot of my long long time colleagues that i've worked with and he said and i just have one thing left to say i think you your best pictures are in front of you <laughs> and you know, after almost after almost forty years for your boss to say that uh, was incredibly uh, affirming, and you know, really made me think. Wow, you know, I maybe he's right. <laughs> maybe uh, you know, there's a lot more gas left in the tank. So that's that was great. I'm just thrilled. You know, it's really amazing accomplishment, I guess. And I think about a lot of stuff. You know, I thought about my late parents who couldn't be there, but how my dad got me started in photography. My mom really, really encouraged me and believed in me. And, uh, and you know, of course, my kids who, I was a single dad for a long time when they were growing up. And it was, it was tough. It was difficult. Difficult on them. It was difficult on me. And when I got remarried, my, my wife now is incredibly understanding of what it what my job entails. I mean, I don't know too many people who are working today, and I know this is not, you're not publishing this today, but it's, you know, it's January 1st. Most people are not working today. <laughs> I happen to have a game, and I have to leave at, you know, noon to go to go to a game. Love to spend the day with my family, but that's just, you know, the way the chips fall. So anyway, very thrilled to be part of of the Basketball Hall of Fame to be recognized by them and to have my work, my body of work be recognized. That's the most incredible thing there is.
And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, I have no plans to, to hang it up. I get excited every single game that I go to and, um, you know, still plugging away. Well, Andy, it was it was a real honor having you here today and getting to hear all your stories. I mean, you had you had some great stories because you, you've seen a lot through the league. And it's just an honor and a privilege to have you on the episode today. Well, it was really fun for me too, guys. And can I plug my social media stuff? Yes, mind? feel free. Well, I would love it if people, would, if they're into my photography and sort of the, the photos I've shot over the years, I post a lot of stuff of my uh, current photography. I post stuff after every single game and as, as well as looking back. And my, my handle is at ABB Photo Inc. on Instagram and Twitter. And then my other platform is called Legends of Sport, as I mentioned earlier. And Legends of Sport is really dedicated to preserving and documenting the accomplishments of iconic athletes throughout the, the years. And we post a lot of really cool stuff. And it's at Legends of Sport. And there's a blog also called uh, legendsofsport.blog. <laughs> and every day we post this day in sports history and how it relates to what's going on today. And there's a lot of conversation going back and forth. People seem to really enjoy it. And then, of course, there's my podcast at Legends of Sport, which is uh, now going to be released on Anchor, which is a Spotify platform. And um, you can also find it on Apple Podcasts. So Legends of Sport just finished two seasons, 60 podcasts, a lot of good stuff on there a lot of good uh really great stories from amazing people in and out of the game hope uh, everybody can check that out absolutely i know from from one person who's gonna check it out it's gonna be me i'm gonna check that as soon <laughs> as we hang up <laughs> cool. cool but anyway you yeah. you have fun working tonight and like we said this is uh it's been fun listening to all your stories for sure well that was so great that you reached out and i really appreciate it and if you ever want me back just just holler. I'll be back. But I'll be following you and hope you do the same. Wish everybody, you guys and everybody out there, really happy and healthy, successful 2020. Awesome. Well, we appreciate that. And for, uh, for Cardboard Box Seats, that's the end of the episode. Remember to follow us on social media and stay tuned for more episodes.